You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. If you weren't here, I started a two-part teaching on what it could look like for us to be more devoted disciples in this new year. So hopefully, if you weren't here, you got an opportunity to listen to the other podcast uh, that that was on. But uh, just as a reminder, in Acts 2.42, which is where we spent our time last week, we find this word, devoted. And we are inviting this verse, this one verse, to really serve as a guidepost of sorts for the start of our journey into 2023. So remember, Acts 2.42 provides us a window through which to see really the birth of the early church, and it starts with this very simple but very significant phrase. It says, if you'll remember, they devoted themselves. And so that's an English phrase that really translates a Greek word that means to persevere devotedly or to persist obstinately. And so we are called to adopt the posture of apprentices, learning to wrap our entire lives around the way of Jesus together. That is the invitation of Christ to become a Christian. And so we started this new year trying to get our hearts and minds around this very simple mantra that you might remember. It was our big idea last week, three simple words, discipleship demands devotion. But if you really think about it, That simple little mantra, it still begs a pretty important question. And that question is, devoted to what? And to answer that question, I want to finish this big idea like this. Discipleship demands devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. So if you want to know, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a part of Formation Church? Discipleship demands devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. And as we heard from Jesus in Luke 14 last week, we should never commit to something without first considering the cost. Now, I would argue that everything we gain in relationship with Jesus eclipses anything it could possibly cost us. And there is still a cost associated with following Jesus. He said that himself. And so, This is what discipleship will cost us. It will cost us devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. Not in isolation, you and Jesus in a podcast. Us, following him, walking with him together. This is what we see in this description of the early church. And so let's jump back. Remember, this is really one teaching in two parts. So let's jump into part two of what um, I'm calling the devoted disciple. If you have a Bible, turn again to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be just in verse 42 today. So Acts 2.42, while you're turning there, let me just read this one verse over you this morning. Luke writes this. He says, they, the early church, they devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so here's what I want you to see right off the bat is a very critical contextual detail. Luke is not just describing what happened when they gathered together for what we might call a worship service. 
He is outlining the primary practices that made up their life with Jesus together. And, and I think that this is huge for us as we start this new year, because for reasons for the last three years that we have discussed in great de- detail, life got a little weird for a minute. And because of that, it was like all anyone could do to just keep a worship service going. There were weeks, it was pretty hard to pull that off. And, and in addition to that, it was so we were going through so much, it was all that many of us could do just to muster the strength to even attend a service on any given week. And so just that one aspect of holding this one aspect of our community together has been very, very challenging. But here's what I want you to continue to hear. We are in a new season. At some point, we turn the page and we say yes to God's goodness now and we move forward in a new season together. And in this season, it invites us to so much more than church as a service that we attend. Certainly not less, please do not hear anything I will say this morning as a de-emphasizing of gathering together like this. It is certainly never less than this, but it is so much more. So, when I read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I think that you do as well, but I see four practices that Jesus is still inviting us to today. Still today. So again, we talked last week. This is a descriptive passage where Luke is describing what the early church did. He's not prescribing that this is exactly what must happen in the same way in our lives 2,000 years later. But just because it's descriptive doesn't mean that there is nothing here for us. And so let's spend just a few minutes considering what Jesus invites us to devote ourselves to in this new year. All right? It's four things. Here's number one. Number one is lives shaped by Scripture. Lives shaped by Scripture. Notice that the very first practice that these new disciples devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. Now, contrary to the way that that's worded, this wasn't like the wisdom and insights of the original 12 apostles. This would have consisted of both the teaching of and stories about Jesus. Because remember, by the end of the first century, the Gospels were written down as we have them today for the most part. But initially, the apostles themselves, because they were the ones that had spent so much time with Jesus, they were the guardians of this teaching because everything was being handed down orally. And so as the apostles taught these words of Jesus, these early disciples would gather around and they would hang on every word so that they could walk away and actually do what Jesus had said. Their devotion was to applying the words of Jesus. And their devotion to apply Jesus' words makes sense because the stakes for them were so, so high. For one thing, they believed that Jesus was the source of true life. That he did not just give them a set of doctrines to believe. That he prescribed and described a way of life for them, that the more and more that they lived into it, the more they would experience what he called abundant life. And so for that reason alone, the stakes were very, very high. They knew, I want to experience what God intended me to experience, which means I have to say yes to what Jesus says and actually do it. But in addition to that, the stakes were very, very high for them because they were risking everything to follow Jesus. You make a decision to follow Jesus today. 
It might put some tension in some relationships. It might demand that you live a little counterculturally. But by and large, we don't risk our lives in the way that they did. They risked family. They risked friends. They risked being put out of their synagogue, which was the very hub and center of their entire life. They risked the loss of job. They risked the very loss of life. So the stakes for them were so unbelievably high. And in general, the higher the stakes, the closer we have a a tendency to stick to the source. So as another example, uh, a few years ago, on Pastor Tyler's birthday, we went and did something we'd never done before, and it's quite out of character for us. We went to a shooting range. Now, I don't, um, mine's not showing because I don't even know if I hit the target, okay? Um, Now, I don't own a gun, um, I didn't grow up around guns. Guns aren't a part of my life. I'm not anti, you know, all guns by any means. I think we have too many, but that's a side sermon. Um, but I, guns are just not a big part of my life. And so as a result, when we went, I didn't just run in and be like, give me the biggest gun to shoot something. <laughs> I went in, we paid a sizable sum to have an instructor come and walk us through every single step and to teach us everything that we needed to know. And I got to tell you, I paid crazy close attention to every word this guy said. Because I had no idea what I was doing, and I didn't, there was so much at stake. I didn't want to get hurt. I didn't want to have to, like, go home, and Tam's like, how did it go? And I'm like, well, I have one less toe, because I'm an idiot, and I didn't listen. I didn't want to shoot Tyler on his birthday, because that would have been a real, (laughs) just a real downer. (laughs) So there was just a lot at stake in this moment. And as a result of that, I was not playing fast and loose with his instruction. The stakes were too high. Now, here's our problem. I believe that we are prone to forget how high the stakes are when it comes to the scriptures. I think we forget. We forget that abundant life holds in the balance of whether or not we both understand and apply what it is that Jesus says to us. I think we forget that. And as a result of that, we come to the scriptures as editors rather than apprentices. Now, I had the privilege of publishing a book about six or seven years ago, and the publishing company assigned me an editor. So I would send pages in, and it was the editor's responsibility to pick and choose what was going to stay and what was going to go. And so that's what an editor does. They pick and choose what stays and what goes, but an apprentice does not do that. An apprentice just does what the teacher instructs. And what we have to understand is that you and I are invited to Scripture as apprentices who apply, not editors who pick and choose which parts we like and which parts we don't. And Jesus was all over this. In John 13, 17, he said this, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. His half-brother, James, in James 1.25 said, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. See, a disciple's posture is one of apprentice. Jesus speaks, and we apply. And to this end, we're going to start a new series in two weeks focused on the very teaching of Jesus. Whether you realize this or not, one-third of everything that Jesus taught in the Gospels came to us and comes to us in story form that we call parables. And so what we're going to do in two weeks is we're going to start a new eight-part 
uh, series studying the stories of Jesus together in a series that we're going to call Once Upon a Time. And again, not, not just to fill our heads with more information, but to really ask that Jesus, through his spirit, would, uh, would use these words to shape our lives. We're going to specifically listen with an ear toward what is Jesus inviting me to do? What does it look like for me to put action to what he's saying? Discipleship demands devoted to a shared journey with Jesus together. So, will you devote yourself to allowing Scripture to shape your life? Now, here's the second practice. Number two is friendships forged for formation. Friendships forged for formation. Now, in addition to the apostles' teaching, notice these early disciples devoted themselves to what Luke calls the fellowship. Now, that English word fellowship translates the Greek word koinonia, and koinonia implies a a, a very particular type of relationship. It is a relationship uh, between a group of people participating together toward a common goal. And so to understand koinonia, I want you to think for a second about a team. Now, a team always participates toward a common goal. That's what makes it a team. I've been privileged to be on a bunch of different kinds of teams in my life, primarily sports, and I remember it doesn't matter what age it was and what type of sport it was. In, in sports, your, your whole objective as a team is this shared goal to win. Before I became a pastor, I spent a couple years working for Starbucks in a bunch of different stores in Chicagoland, and in each of those stores, we had a team, and our shared goal was always the same. It was to provide an excellent product, which I feel like they've lost their way in, just a hair, with legendary service, which they have hella lost their way in. That was our shared goal. No amen on that? Like You haven't been, you haven't been to the Bucks in a minute if you feel like they're still providing legendary service, okay? Earbuds in, no, they're just like, you got to use sign language to get it what it is you want, it's terrible. Anyways, every team, every team participates toward a common goal, and the early church was no different. That common goal of the early church was to make disciples, and they took their marching orders from Jesus himself. In Matthew 28, after his resurrection, Jesus gathered these original disciples together, and he gave them a clear, shared goal. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. And so if we consider these words of Jesus, it becomes evident that he assigned them and he has assigned us a shared goal, which is formation in the image of Christ. And so their their fellowship, their community, their koinonia centered around that shared goal. And we have to work so hard. This is true of every local church. Every local church has to work so hard to fight to keep that the primary goal of our friendships and relationships together. We have to fight not to become more of a club than we are a church. Now, the difference between a club and a church is the shared goal. When, when community for the sake of community is the goal, you're in a club. That's the point of a club, is community. That's the whole objective. But when formation through community is the goal, we're a church. And so if you call formation home, you know this because you hear about it every week. You'll hear about it again in just a few minutes. 
We have meetups that we help provide people an opportunity to take their first steps toward friendship. But by no means should meetups be the end goal for us. Like, so maybe you finally muster up as an introvert the courage to actually go to one of these things. You're like, I'm going to embrace the awkward, go hang out with these people that I don't know very well. And then you walk in and you're like, all right, koinonia, nailing it. Mm-hmm. You're getting there. It's, that's, a, that's a really critical step forward, but that is not our end goal. The end goal is to get as many of us as possible walking with Jesus together through what we call formation groups, which are just these small groups of usually three to five people who meet at least once a month to just share a little bit about what it is that God is doing in their lives, take an opportunity to pray for somebody else in the group, and then to be prayed over. And the Spirit uses this very simple process of us living in the open together to form us in Christ. And so again, because of the significance and our need to grow in, in, in this informative, what we call formative friendship, this is going to be our focus in April and May of this year. So again, we'll, we'll start from God's Word. We're going to do an eight-week series called A Coal in the Fire that is going to help us develop our existing formation groups and to be able to form some new ones. And I just want you to know, because I think that many of you will resonate with this, even if you and I have not had the conversation. I have had so many conversations in the last couple of months where people say over and over again that they are longing for deeper relationships. We are still coming to terms with the impact of a couple of years of real isolation from one another, and as a result, many of us are carrying this shared longing for deeper relationships. And I, and, I, and I really, really want you to hear this, that I, I'm confident that formation groups are going to be the way that God satiates that longing, the primary one. And there is going to be a little bit of awkward in the midst of it. And so we have to allow our longing for deeper relationship to give us the willingness to push through the awkwardness and just allow it to be because it's not going to hurt us and to begin to experience deeper relationship as we build them with one another. Discipleship demands devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. And so the question is, will you devote yourself to friendships forged for formation? Here's the third practice. Now, write this down. Number three, grace remembered and received through communion. Grace remembered and received through communion. So when Luke says... They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. He's most likely referring there to various expressions of shared meals that they would have had together that culminated in what we now call communion, that we practice every week. We're going to take communion together in just a few minutes. Now, historically, communion is also referred to as the Lord's Supper. You may have heard it referred to as the table or as the Eucharist. But regardless of what we call it, it's critical that we understand what is happening when we practice this spiritual discipline together, because we will not treasure what we don't understand. And this has been my experience with communion. And so like so many aspects of our faith, Christians have held various positions regarding communion throughout history. And anytime that's the case, I really think it's important to say that, because oftentimes what happens, especially in certain streams of faith, is we hold up one way that Christians have believed, and we say this is the only way that Christians believe. 
I'm here to tell you, when it comes to almost everything, there's a lot of diversity of belief within Christianity. And that's not bad. It's okay. And so when communion, when it comes to communion, there are a variety of positions that people hold. For instance, Roman Catholics hold to a position called transubstantiation. They're not awesome at naming things in a memorable way, but let me, un- let me explain transubstantiation. It's pretty simple. People who hold to this position believe that the elements, the bread and the wine, after the priest has blessed it, becomes the actual body and blood of Christ. Now, Lutherans believe just like, they're like Catholic-ish, okay? So they hold to a position called consubstantiation, same naming. They use the same marketing company to name their stuff, apparently. Now, they don't believe that the elements become the physical body and blood of Christ, but they do believe that the body and blood of Christ are present in, with, and under the elements. So it feels kind of semantical, but there is a slight difference there. Now, I grew up, probably like many of you, being taught a position that is called memorialism. And in memorialism, communion is nothing more than an act of remembering. So the elements are nothing, really, except a reminder. And nothing happens when you take communion outside of remembering. Now, here is my point of personal confession. As a result of that position and being taught that, since I, like, I remember being a little kid, the only thing I was like, I just, I, I've never had a strong, deep connection to communion. Because what I've been told since I was a little kid is like, oh, this is nothing other than a reminder. So I remember coming into church as a little kid and had the table was out and they had the old school, the big silver things that had all the communion. And I remember walking in being pumped because I'm like, well, this is different than the normal boring thing and at least there's snacks. That was like the deepest connection I had to it. And to be quite honest, that continued with me into my adult life. I just didn't really have this connection to it because I feel like I can remember without stale crackers and cheap wine. So as a result... This ordinance of communion, just for many, many years, did not hold a deep conviction in my heart. And that changed for me when I became more acquainted with a fourth position called receptionism, which is my personal position and would be the position of our church. And so in this position, we believe that Christ is not physically present in these elements. We don't believe that in a few minutes when we take communion together, that that bread, and that that cup turn into the physical body and blood of Christ. I'm not going to get into why, but that's just not our position. But that being said, I do very much believe that Jesus is spiritually present in communion. And that little distinction is everything. Because as a result of Jesus being spiritually present with us in communion, communion is a means of grace to us. It is another way, in a unique manner that I don't even begin to fully understand, in a supernatural way in which Jesus goes, here's a a unique dispensation of my grace to you that happens as we take communion together. And so this is why we've shifted toward practicing communion every single week as a part of our service. And so every single week, I explain that we do two things when we take communion, right? The first thing is we do remember the very center of our faith. Jesus Christ, God the Son, sacrificed his, lo- his life in order to redeem our own. And so we take the bread that pictures his body, and we take the cup that pictures his blood, and we do this so that we never, ever, ever forget either the cost or the source of our healing in Christ. May we never forget that. 
And we need to be reminded week after week after week when we take that bread and we take that cup that as we eat and as we drink, we have this physical reminder. There is nothing left to earn. And I think that's so important as we talk about the importance of devotion to Christ. We don't devote ourselves to Christ to earn anything from him. We don't do it to make up for our sins. We don't do it to prove that we are worthy of being his disciple. I love you. You're not worthy. Neither am I. That's what makes it grace. And so every time we take communion, we are being reminded of the words of Jesus where he says, it is finished. There's no more to prove. There's no more to earn. And so everything that we do flows from the reality of what Jesus has already fully given to us. And so week after week after week, we take the bread, we take the cup, and we hear those words, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. And we do it every week because the things we do over and over is what forms us. So the first thing that we do is we remember the very center of our faith. But secondly, we receive grace. And so we have intentionally placed communion after our time of teaching in order to receive grace for everything the Spirit has called us to. So every single week we come together like this, our hope and our prayer is that Jesus is speaking invitations to us. And communion reminds us in a very real way that it is not on us by our own strength to do the things that God calls us to do. We need grace for that. And so we believe that as Jesus speaks these invitations to us in this time together, that we hear them, we receive them, we say, Lord, I want to say yes, and then we take communion, and he goes, okay, here's the grace that you need to actually be able to do that. It's mysterious, it's supernatural, I'm not interested in a faith that has neither of those things, otherwise what's the point? So we don't have to totally understand it, but it is good for us to embrace it. So that this holds meaning for us. Discipleship demands devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. So will you devote to gathering together with us every single week like this so that we can remember and receive grace through communion? And then the final, fourth and final practice that we see in this verse is prayer, but prayer that processes along the way. Prayer that processes along the way. Now notice, the final point, <laughs> every time I look up to take a drink, I catch these lights with my eyes, and then I'm blind for about three and a half minutes. They're very, very bright. So, continuing to try to know where I am, final point of devotion to which Luke points is prayer. So, early Christians, especially those that came from Jewish descent, which was a majority of early Christians, in keeping with their Jew- Jewish heritage, they would have practiced fixed-hour prayer which means that they stopped every single day a minimum of three times in order to pray. Furthermore, like us, they also would have prayed for their daily needs as they walked through life, but we also see multiple occurrences throughout the book of Acts where these early disciples gathered together in one place so that they could pray together. And so if we are going to devote ourselves to prayer, we have to, have to, have to continue to demystify it in our minds. Now, in my experience, prayer is one of the most frustrating practices for Christians. And so if, you, if you're here and you're like, I struggle with prayer, welcome. I don't know that I've ever met a Christian that's like, I have had never, ever any struggle with prayer whatsoever. I mean, for one thing, we 
in prayer are communicating with a God that we can't see. That is admittedly weird and challenging. And I'm here to tell you, I have read a lot of books on prayer. I've listened to tons of sermons and many, many seminars. And I've heard people try to provide ways. Around. There's no way around it. It's just something you get used to. Like we're praying to a God that we don't see. And that is a little bit weird, and it is okay. But I would argue that the bigger challenge is our tendency to fall prey to the belief that prayer is, in, for some reason and in some way, altogether separate from the normal communication that we do all of the time. We make it this other thing. And then we get very up in our heads, and as a result, we don't pray. But at its core, prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. And I would bet that prayer would become more prominent if we would begin utilizing it as an opportunity to process life with God. Rather than trying to remember some specific words or some specific means of how am I supposed to, it's processing life with God. You know, as my kids get older, I'm trying to find more individualized ways to support their own spiritual lives. When they were little, we would like get together with a children's Bible and do some family devotions, and we weren't always super consistent with that, but we did our best with it. But as they get older, I'm trying to find some more individualized right way, ways. And so right now, uh, Ryder and I are experimenting with uh, just reading a simple devotional together right before bed, and then we just kind of chat about it. And so like all devotionals, got a couple of questions at the end that we talk about. Like all devotionals, many of those questions suck. They just like, oftentimes, just, it's hard to write good questions. So I'm very sympathetic toward it. But oftentimes, like, there was a couple times this week where we were like, hmm, I don't really want to talk about that. That's just, that makes no sense to me, okay? So I want to present an honest picture of this. But, but here, here is actually what has been the most advantageous and the most important thing for us. It's just provided this little time for us to really catch up on the day. And so we, we might talk about that question if it's a good question for a minute. And then inevitably the same thing happens. We end up talking about what was hard today. What was confusing today? What hurt are we carrying here at the end of the day? Did anything big happen? Did anything little happen but is for some reason on your mind? And we just get this few-minute opportunity to align our hearts and to understand what is happening inside of one another. And I would argue that this is God's intent for prayer. That's what he wants. He is our perfect father, and he wants us to process life with him. And he does have things that he wants to say to us. And it is a muscle that we develop in being able to discern and to hear the voice of God in our lives. But make no mistake, God does want it to be a dialogue, not a monologue of you bending his ear. And so one of my great longings for this year is that both as individuals and as a community, we would grow deeper and deeper in our devotion to prayer. That somehow, and I know that this sounds like far-fetched to some of us, that somehow it would stop being this laborious thing we feel like we have to do and instead feels like the opportunity in a very intimate and meaningful way to, to process life with our dad. And many of us didn't have that growing up. Many of us don't have that with an earthly father right now. But we have a perfect heavenly father who wants to talk to us about what's happening inside of us, what's happening around us, what's happening inside of him, and what he wants to do 
in you. So I pray that this would continue to increase for us, and I really believe that God longs for us to know that he actually hears us, and he doesn't just hear us like white noise in the background, but that he actually listens to us. Like, just imagine if you can. I don't, God's spirit, so he doesn't have an image, but whatever you picture of as Jesus, just imagine Jesus in heaven giving you his full attention as you talk to him. We can't even get one another to give full attention when we're having a conversation. But the transcendent God of the universe is locked on you when you pray and longs to hear whatever it is that is on your heart. He wants to listen. He wants to answer. And I believe that he wants us to believe all of that so that we will begin to process every big and small part of our lives with him. Prayer is not complicated, but it is not easy. And so as a result, let's grow in this together. So again, to that end, in July and August, Lord willing, we're going to do another, apparently I'm doing all eight-week series this year, but we're going to do an eight-week teaching on everything that Jesus taught about prayer to his first disciples. And until then, devotion to prayer can start with something as simple as coming here Wednesday night for one hour so that we can learn to pray together. And we come in to these prayer meetings if you worry about coming in and going, well, I'm not an expert, I, like nobody is. Who's a prayer expert besides Jesus? We come to learn. We come as fellow apprentices learning how to better talk to God about what it is that is going on in our life and in this world. So this Wednesday, 7 to 8, we learn to pray by praying. So I would invite you to come for that. And again, want you to know you're not going to be forced to pray out loud. You're not going to be forced to step outside of your comfort zone apart from the fact that for some of us being around other humans is outside of our comfort zone. And that part I can't fix for you. But I would love if you would come and join me for an hour of prayer together. Discipleship demands devotion to a shared journey with Jesus together. And so let me just close by really trying to help you hear the heart of all of this for me. I really, really believe that the Holy Spirit is inviting us to devote ourselves to a different way of life with him. And I think it's really important that we understand that, that he is inviting us to a deeper way of life with him together. I believe that he wants us to be a people who come under the words of Jesus and allow them to shape our lives rather than us, because this is what usually happens, is us standing in judgment over Scripture. Picking and choosing the parts we like and the discarding the parts that we don't. And I believe that he wants us to be people who choose the courage to step into the open with a small group of safe companions. I believe that he wants us to make Sunday worship, culminating in communion and the grace that is present within it, the lifeblood of our week. And I believe that he wants us to learn to process life with him through prayer. And I don't believe that many, if any of us, would probably push back on all of that. But here's the truth. The healing formation for which we all long never comes without a fight. The modern Christian church has primarily made Christianity about a set of beliefs. Just confess that you believe these things and, and that's it. And I would say again, like it's not less than that, but it's certainly more. Biblical 
Discipleship is about a set of beliefs that produce a particular way of life. And this life that we have been talking about the last two weeks, if we're honest, it is, what we have heard is not indicative of most of our lives. We are more shaped by culture than the words of Christ. Our relationships tend to center around affinity, not formation. We, many weeks, don't celebrate communion because worship's not our chief priority, and quite frankly, we're just not here. We worry and we seek control far more than we surrender through prayer. And so the sobering reality is many of us, all of us, need a significant overhaul to our entire lives. And I want to invite you to just sit with the weight of that for a second. It should feel a little overwhelming. Jesus is not inviting us to a relationship that feels like an extracurricular with him, just some little thing that we add. He's inviting us to an entirely different way of life. So it won't be easy. It won't happen overnight. It will demand devotion from us. But we are not alone in it. He is with us, and we are in this together. And so my question is, will you spend the next year with me? We'll do this together, learning to devote ourselves to the way of Jesus, learning to to build formative friendships, learning to prioritize the sacrifice of Christ through weekly worship, learning to cultivate a life of prayer. This can be our deepest year with Jesus to date, provided We devote ourselves to this shared journey with him together. So will we join him on this journey? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you don't leave us to figure this out on our own. That the very reason that the first thing these early disciples devoted themselves to was the teaching of the apostles was because They believed that your words held the life that they longed for, the life that they needed. And so in the same way, Lord, now we have the tremendous example of like we have your word written down for us to be able to read over and over again, to read slowly, to think deeply, to meditate, to contemplate, to allow your words to soak into our hearts. And so, Lord, we just invite this year to be a year of you speaking and us listening and receiving the grace that we need to embrace every invitation you put before us. Lord, we thank you that we we never do one thing to prove or to earn anything to you. We simply receive the gift of new life in you by grace. And we say yes and we embrace everything you invite us to by grace. So would you give us the grace necessary to follow you on this shared journey together? There are many obstacles, all of which you know. Would you overcome each and every one as you lead us forward together? We pray all of this in Jesus' name.